If you would, grab your Bibles. Oh yeah, grades three to five. You've got class today. Exit on back that direction towards the teacher's lounge. And as they're going that direction, if you don't have a Bible, let's grab a Bible. You can raise your hand, we'll get one to you. Open up your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. As you're turning there, today we're going to sort of wrap up. I say sort of because you never know where God goes, but I'm planning on wrapping this up today. Christianity Defined, the sermon series that we've been in, talking about what it means to be a Christian. And if I were to define Christianity, I believe our definition would differ greatly from biblical times when they were first followers of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we really didn't hear people say they're They are Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians in biblical times. They said they were followers of the way. They were followers of Jesus Christ. And so in this sermon series, we attempted to briefly define Christianity, not so much in terms of sanctification, salvation, sin, grace, those kind of things, more in regards to the actions and the outcomes of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, sometimes people say, what does it mean to become a member of True North Church? How do I become a member of True North Church? And you maybe saw those covenant cards in the back. And I would say this. This sermon series has basically been sort of an explanation of how to be a member at True North Church. About what it means to place value in worship. To give of yourself in serving and to give of yourself in tithes and your talents. What it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ. What it means to share your faith. If you look on our covenant, that's what I've been preaching on. Because I want you to understand that if you want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, we want our church to biblically look like those who follow Jesus Christ. And so those actions are put into place, and we've been defining those things. And and when you look at statistics, out of 6 billion people, 2 billion people on this planet call themselves Christians. And what I said, I believe, a couple weeks ago is if one-third of this planet believes in Jesus Christ, why don't we look like a world that believes in Jesus Christ. I don't think we do look like a world that believes in Jesus Christ. When you look back to the book of Acts and you saw what a small group of people did with the Spirit of God and how they just rocked their world and it was like, wow, they're on fire. And that was just a small group. And we've got two billion people that call themselves Christians and yet we don't look very Christ-like. Why is that? So being a Christian, as I've been mildly putting, it's, it's more than just being religious. Being a Christian is more than just showing up on occasion in a relationship. There is commitment. Our commitment means we choose to be part of something bigger than us. We realize that being a Christian doesn't revolve around my world and what I believe, because a lot of people like, well, this is what I believe. Well, this is what I believe. And the amazing thing is not about what I believe in my world. It's about the fact that there's foundational truths which we place our faith in. But some of us like to take those truths and say, well, let me tell you what I believe. It's like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what God says. And I believe in what God says. Christianity is not about me. It's about a holy and just God who loves us so much that he became flesh. And he came to this planet to pay a price that I can't pay, that you can't pay, so we can have a personal relationship with him. 
the one and only God of this existence. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, my relationship with him is a transforming relationship. It is changing from the inside out. My actions reflect my faith. So I thought about this. If I'm coming to a church building, and if I'm coming to worship God, and if I'm choosing to follow Jesus Christ, and then I leave this place and nothing happens, then why come? Why follow him? If, if following Jesus Christ is not changing me from the inside out, then maybe I'm not changing. Following Jesus Christ should compel me to be different from the inside out. It's a transformation that is taking place inside of me. The sanctification process, the Holy Spirit working inside of me, changing me from the inside out, and I'm going to live different as a result of that. We're no longer worshiping ourselves. We're no longer worshiping our stuff. We worship God. And as a result, we give of ourselves and we give our stuff back to God. We no longer look for opportunities to be served. I'm just going to sit in the church and get fattened up as the preacher talks to me and, and just you know let me feed off of what's going on and just serve me. It's all about me, right? Not in our church. Instead, we choose to serve others. Following Jesus Christ, we're placing our faith in Him. It transforms us. We're new. We are made alive in Him. And I want to be a part of a church that is alive. And I hope and pray you want to be part of a church that is alive. I want to be a part of a church that prays. And I hope you want to be a part of a church that prays. And I want to be a part of a church that worships and our voices sing out. And it's like when you're at a birthday party and everybody's singing, Happy birthday. And everybody's singing. It's a full, it's like, man, there's only 20 people in here and it's loud. You know, but then you step into a church with 200 people and we're singing a song. And it's like, I could hear somebody drop something on the other side of the room because we're not singing. Why is that? Our voices should ring out. I want to be a part of a church that sings. I want to be a part of a church that says, I see God at work. Church, don't you want to be a part of that kind of a church? Don't you want to be that kind of church that prays, that worships, that sees God at work? I want to be like the disciples who hung out with Jesus. In the book of Luke chapter 7, there's a passage where after Jesus showed up and he did something, we'll get to this, but when it was all said and done, this is what they said. They all realized that they were in a place of holy mystery. That God was at work among them. Don't you want to be part of that? Where you just sort of sit there and say, this was a holy mystery today. God's at work here. And they went on to say they were quickly worshipful. And then it says, and then they were noisily grateful. They called out among themselves, God is back. And he's looking at the needs of the people. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Where you look around and say, God's at work. And it's a holy mystery taking place. And I'm quietly going to worship, but I'm loudly going to celebrate. Listen, I want to come across... I thought, I'm that kind of a church. Here's the thing. I can't be quiet. You can't be quiet. I'm compelled to share my story. I'm compelled to share my new life. Just like the videos that we've been putting up there from the people from our church, they're compelled to share their story. Why? Because God's at work, and they can't be quiet about it. I don't want to, you know, I guess when we talk about sharing our faith, I want it to be like this. I want to come across like I just won the lottery, okay? And everybody's coming after me for a piece of what I just got. That's the way it should be in our faith. I just won 
a billion dollar spiritual impact in my life. And now people are saying, I want some of that. I want some of that. Now, I'm not sure if any of you actually watched the NFL draft, like you've been glued to your TV, like, I ah, can't wait for the next pick. Who's going next? Some of you might be that way, okay? I'm not going to knock that, okay? But I can't watch it. Um, I don't have the time to sit there and watch 20-year-olds in their big, flashy outfits that probably cost them more money to buy that outfit for the day than I do in my wardrobe for two years, okay? And uh, sit on their cell phones like, yeah, coach, yeah, I'm ready to sign a million-dollar contract. I, I just can't relate. I don't know why, but I can't relate to that, okay? But I'm watching these guys uh, in, in the news conferences later. It's like they show these little glimpses of this, and I'm thinking that's it's pretty incredible. But here's the thing. Once they get a call to get drafted by this NFL coach, okay, they are now signing these contracts for millions of dollars. You know what the next phone call they're getting? They're getting a phone call from their family, from their friends, from their good old buddies, from their long-lost cousins, brothers, uncles, aunts, sisters, friend, okay, all wanting a piece of that contract. Hey, um, man, my car's not working. You think you can help me get a new car? You can float me a couple hundred dollars? I want some of what you have is what's happening. And let me tell you something, that happens, Okay. You see one side of the story of that NFL draft. There's another side of the story where these guys get hit up by phone calls. People say, I want a part of what you just got. What I'm saying is, church, God extends an invitation for us to be a part of his undefeated and invincible team. God is saying, listen, I'm incredible. I'm invincible. I want you on my team. I'm drafting you today to be a part of my family. Are you in or not? And then that sort of opportunity for us to be adopted into his team and his kingdom, and he drafts us into his kingdom, we're his first pick. I'm in. And once that happens, here's what happens. My countenance should change. I've just been drafted by the King of Kings. I'm now part of an invincible franchise. I want to be a I'm, coach. What do you want me to do first? Sign me up, right? So my behavior should be different. Those around me should be coming up and saying, man, I want a piece of that. You're, you seem to be really at peace. Can I have some of that peace? You're a very loving and kind person. How do I get that? You know what? Most people wouldn't forgive, but you've been a very forgiving person. Where does that come from? I want some of that. And yet for some reason across the globe, we become content with just praying a, a simple prayer and sitting in church and doing our time and believing that Sunday, Sunday's visit to a building makes us a team player. Look at Luke chapter 7. Church, I don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't understand what it means to live for Christ. I want to be a part of a church that's living for Christ. And in this passage, Luke chapter 7, let's start in verse 11 and read. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, with a great crowd following him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The boy who had died was the only son of a widow, and many mourners from the village were with her. So here's a widow. Understanding biblical times, what's going on here? She's lost everything. Everything. A woman's position in biblical times back then, and even now, sometimes in the Middle East, it's somewhat similar. But if you are a woman, you are the lowest of the low on the totem pole, so to say. You have no rights. You have nothing to your possession to call for to say this belongs to me. You don't have that. 
you're without. She's financially most likely not doing well. Her husband had passed away. When your husband passes away, ladies, here's what happens to your husband's money. It goes to your son. And when your son passes away, you don't get the money of the inheritance either. It goes to the closest male relative, Uncle Joe or Cousin Tommy. It's just it's, it's, boom, it's gone. You never see it, ladies. So as a widow, you have nothing. Let alone that, people believe that there's probably something wrong with you because your husband died and your kids died, so God must be mad at you. So we're just going to slowly publicly shun you as well. You see where this lady is right now? Not in great position. And as the story reads, this widow's only son passes away. Her last hope is gone. And the funeral procession is heading out of town to a place of burial. The body is on a stretcher. We would have thought, you know, maybe it's on the coffin. There's this big funeral procession. Back then, they probably had the body all wrapped, but it was on more like of a stretcher. And on the way to a low-income place of burial. Now, I heard one pastor say that some places where they buried the dead, if especially you didn't have a lot of money, they would didn't, couldn't afford a larger plot of land to bury, that maybe they would bury it like a vertical tomb, using up less space this way. didn't matter how deep you went, and you put the body in vertical to save even more money if you couldn't afford it. So they're on their way to simple funeral. Jesus is on his way to Nain. Now I want you to think about this. He's going one way. The funeral procession, procession is going the other way. And they're about ready to intersect. Consider the timing of the story. Had Jesus decided to come a day earlier or a day later? Had Jesus decided to come 30 minutes earlier or 30 minutes later? Then the funeral procession that was coming, they would have never intersected in this story. This story never takes place. Have you ever wondered if timing is a part of God's plan? You ever think about things in your life like, boy, if this if I wouldn't have been here at this time, this could have happened, or if I had been there, this might not have happened. This past week I had an appointment with a young man that I'm discipling in Toledo. Um, my supervisor contacted me last fall and said, there's a young man, um, I just sat down with him, he just gave his life to Jesus Christ, I'd like you to disciple him. And I'm sitting there going, you want me to drive to Toledo once a week to disciple this young man? It didn't make sense to me, but he's my supervisor. And I was like, okay. But here's what happened. This young man, his father was killed in an accident working on his buddy's car. Actually, this young man was a freshman in college his buddy from college and him go home. His buddy's car isn't working right. His dad gets underneath the car to work on the car, and the car claps and pins him and kills him. And the guilt that this young man has coming home that weekend from college with his buddy with the car to get fixed, and now his dad's gone. And he gives his life to Christ, and I'm sitting here discipling him. My dad passed away a year ago. So here's two, two men talking about life in Jesus Christ. And now I'm starting to understand why I'm discipling him. And so as we have these conversations, which here's a wild college kid, okay, made some bad decisions in his life. He's just new to everything. He opens up the Bible. He's got a good old King James Bible, and he's opening it up, and we're breaking it through the these and thousand thus, you know, and, and we're sharing things like, wow, I like how you said that. It's like, oh, I didn't say it. God did. Oh, okay. You know, and it's just like kid in a candy store. 
he can't get enough. He's like, oh, really? You know, then he goes off and struggles through the week and comes back and work at it again. So I'm on my way to Toledo to meet with this young man. And on the way, as I'm getting ready to leave town, I thought I was supposed to stop in at a certain business and drop off some things. But I'm going to be late. But I told him I'd stop and drop this off. Okay, well, he'll, he understands. I'll shoot him a quick text. We'll be running a few minutes later. I need to make a stop. So I made the stop, um, went in, um, ended up talking to the businessman for just for a couple minutes, dropped stuff off, went out. As I went out, I see all these rescue squads and, and emergency vehicles just running down airport highway. And, and I get my vehicle, and I'm driving, and as I get three, four miles towards Delta, I see where the accident is right there. And it's a long line. It's a big mess. And I was thinking, had I not stopped at that business, would I have been there in that accident? Would I have been part of that? And it just made me think about God's timing. Did God save me from something that I would not want to be a part of? And it makes you think about in life, what is God's timing like in certain situations? And then I was reading a story. And as I'm reading a story, and I'm thinking, what about had Jesus maybe 30 minutes, a couple minutes been off, and they get to the funeral procession, they turn, and he goes on. This story never happens, right? But the things that took place in the Scriptures there for a reason. So as we look in the Scripture, you sit here and think, God's got a reason for everything. And it makes me wonder this morning, this day, May 1st, 1049, are you here for a reason? Could it be that you're on a path this morning to intersect with Jesus? He's got you here for a reason. You could have been somewhere else this morning. You could have been at an event. You could have been with a family out and you could have slept in. You could have done all kinds of things. But for some reason, it's like, you know, I'm going today. And you're here. Could this be a holy moment? When Jesus wants to intersect with your life right now, because you're like this family who's on a funeral possession, it's like life just stinks right now. I'm not too happy about what's going on in my life. I'm struggling with something. And when you read this story, we could simply say that maybe that stretcher that this dead boy is laying on is symbolic of something that's carrying us right now. Maybe you're in a relationship that's carrying you in the wrong direction, and you know it. Maybe you're being carried away by spiritual deception of who God is. You've been listening to wild philosophies instead of what Scripture teaches, and it's carrying you in the wrong direction. Our college students can get bombarded with not just our college students, but our young people who are listening to these wild philosophies and thoughts and teachings that are way off base biblically, and we get caught up in listening, and it's carrying us away. Maybe that stretcher is a sin that we've lost control of. Maybe somebody in this room this morning has a drug addiction or a pornography problem. Maybe you're dealing with anger or doubt. And by the way, I go back to that pornography issue. 70% of Christian men deal with it. Which means most likely the stats are somebody in this room is dealing with it. And somebody in this room is dealing with anger. And somebody in this room is dealing with unforgiveness. And somebody in this room right now is dealing with doubt. And somebody in this room right now is dealing with depression. Or some kind of emotional imbalance that's dictating your everyday decision. And it's like you're just being carried away off to be buried. Maybe your stretcher's a wound. Something that happened to you in the past. And you just won't let it go. And it's carrying you off to be buried. 
Maybe we haven't heard this, but let me say it to you in case you haven't heard it lately. God loves you. God will heal you. God is on your side. He is for you. God is for you. These things, these stretchers that are carrying us in the wrong direction, let me tell you something, that is Satan's purpose. He wants to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy, our opponent, has a plan for us, and that's to bury us, to carry us off and bury us. But here's the thing. God has a plan for us too. No more funerals. No more death. No more sorrow. No more sin. No more grieving. Jesus has come to give life, and he's come to give it abundantly. Amen? So let's go back to this passage. The funeral procession is heading in one direction. Jesus intersects with them coming from another direction. And Jesus stops the procession. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the the coffin, which was a stretcher, touched it. The bear stopped. Young man, he said, get up, rise up. The dead boy sat up and began to talk to those around him. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Can you imagine what Jesus was thinking when he was about ready to do this? I mean, he's walking, he sees the funeral procession, and he knows, he knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to raise this boy from the dead. Do you think he's sitting there saying, oh, this is going to be fun. I can't wait to see everybody's face when I do this, Right? Do you think maybe this is going to be amazing? I can't, I can't wait to do this. I haven't done this in a while. Matter of fact, I don't think I've done this yet. I'm going to do it with Lazarus later. I'll do this boy now. Here's why he did it. Look at verse 13 again. Verse 13 says, When the Lord saw her, her pain, her son being carried off on the stretcher to be buried, what does it say? His heart overflowed with compassion. Church, we have a Savior who loves you. He loves us right where we're at. In the worst of our situations, He looks at us with full compassion and says, I love you. I do not want this for you. This is not the way it was supposed to be. When we created the heavens and the earth from day one, it was not supposed to be this way. It is now, and I want to rescue from that. Jesus isn't worried about what others think. Because here's the thing. Rabbis, first of all, you don't touch dead people. You don't stop a a funeral procession, by the way. Okay? Just a heads up. This isn't the way to be a great witness. Okay? You see a funeral procession, you pull over your car. Hey, can you stop for a second? I just want to touch the body. You'll be hauled away. Okay? Um, It's not a great way. Let Jesus do this stuff. Okay? He isn't worried about what other people think. He's on a mission. He has no problem going against the flow. Stop in the funeral procession to show his compassion and his love. And listen, it doesn't matter how bad that corpse smells or that he's touching a dead body. Again, with that tradition, rabbis don't do this, right? But Jesus does because Jesus steps into our messy life and he touches us in the midst of stink and sin. That's what Jesus does. That's the amazing grace we were just singing. Amazing grace, right? We're singing it. We should have been singing it with big smiles on our face because we are the stinky, messy people that he reached down and touched and said, I'm saving you from sin. And what does he say to this young man? Get up. I mean, in this story, we have an incredible picture of the gospel being proclaimed. Jesus raising the dead in this story. 
If you were to fast forward in time, we see that Jesus pays the price on the cross, right? He makes an atonement for our sins. Grace is affected on that cross where justice was done, and three days later, Jesus defeats death and sin. He beats it all. And when Jesus defeats death in the story and brings his son back to life, what he's doing is he's giving us a glimpse of what's coming down the road. Did you guys just see what I just Get up. I'm going to tell you right now, somewhere down the road, about a year or two, I'm going to be doing the same thing. I'm going to be getting up. And when I do that, I'm going to be conquering sin and death. And from then on, all of you will get up. And you all rise up. And you place your faith in me. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. You can leave a piece of paper or something in Luke 7. We'll come back to that. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says this. Once you were dead, just like that kid on the stretcher. Doomed forever because of your many sins. You used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, who is the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to do to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature. We were under God's anger, just like everyone else. Okay? That's, that's our spiritual stretcher right there, on our way to be buried. Okay? But then, read verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so very much, that's the passion of Jesus, right? That even while we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's special favor that you've been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ. We're seated with Him in the heavenly realms, all because we are one with Christ Jesus. And so God can always point to us as examples of this incredible wealth of His favor and kindness toward us, as shown in all He's done for us through Christ Jesus. That's our rise up moment right there. That's when Jesus speaks to us and says, Get up. Rise up. And by the grace of God giving us a gift that we do not deserve, He gives us new life. Look at verse 8. God saved you by a special favor when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. None of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that He's planned for us long ago. He stopped the funeral procession. He stopped the journey to the hole in the ground. He touched the body. He did what nobody else can do. And I'm convinced that sin puts us in an eternal place separate from God that Jesus, only Jesus, could do what nobody else can do in rescuing us from that place. He touches us, He heals us, and He delivers us to new life. And He takes that stretcher and He tosses it out. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, church. Who do you trust? Who have you placed your faith in? Have you really placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Well, I made a, I prayed that simple prayer that I was supposed to pray, and uh, that was about it. Was that, that was it? Have you truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Is He transforming your life right now? Maybe right now you need to confess because you feel like right now I'm on a stretcher, and I feel like I'm getting buried right now. 
Even as a Christian, even though I place my faith in him, I'm wrapped up in a sin right now that's taking me in the wrong direction. Do you need the touch of Jesus right now? Do you need him to intersect in your life right now and change you? Jesus is for you. He is majesty stepping down into mess. It's Christ stepping close to our death and stretching out his hand, touching the very things that's carrying us out to the grave. And he is saying to us right now, rise up. I need to stop and pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for this church right now. Lord, I don't know who in this room right now is maybe feeling like that boy that was on that stretcher. Maybe there's, maybe there's somebody in this room right now that's like, I've never prayed a prayer. I've never asked Jesus to come into my life. I've never asked for forgiveness. And God, this moment right now is for that person in this room. If you're in this room right now and you've never asked Jesus to save you from your sins, to clean up your mess, to ask for forgiveness, now's the time to ask him. God, I know there's some of us in this room right now that we're being carried out and being buried right now because of maybe a sin that we're just struggling with. Maybe it's doubt or depression. Maybe it's something from the past. We just won't let go. God, forgive us. Touch us. God, we pray for that right now, that your grace, which we don't deserve, is extended to us. Forgive us, God, from our sins. Forgive us if we're doing things we should not be doing. God, if we've forgotten that you are on our side, that you love us, we doubt that. Forgive us, God. Touch us right now. We just pray that. In this room, wherever you're sitting, if you need to ask God to touch you right now, ask him just to touch you. As Jesus touched that young man, ask him to forgive you. Ask him to direct you. Ask him to transform your life. Ask God to work in your life right now. Because, God, that's what we need. We need a church that is alive. We cannot be carrying in 150 stretchers every week and walking out of here on stretchers. God, we want you to toss them today. Make us alive so we can walk out of here, changed, transformed, holy and righteous. God, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. You know, we've been rescued from being buried We've been pulled off our stretchers. And for that reason, there should be joy, church. There should be joy when we gather up. And that's why we share with others. That's what we get excited about. You know, it's like today I wanted to preach about evangelism, right? Because that's what our church believes. We want to share our faith with others. But here's the thing. This is why we share with others. This is what we share with others. We share our stretcher-tossing moments. You want to know what I can share with somebody? Well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to evangelize and, and witness. Those are all good biblical terms. Okay, I get it. Or maybe terms that we've used in religion. But really what I need to do when I'm going to share my faith with somebody is this. You know what? I was like that kid on that stretcher. I was like dead to this world. The stretcher in my life was this particular sin that I was struggling with. And then Jesus touched me. I'm not dead anymore. I'm alive in him. My life has changed. You've heard four stories and videos so far that's been changed lives. 
We've been forgiven. We've been healed. We're alive again. And so we choose to do the same for others, right? We, we stop those who are being carried out and we share our story with them. You know and I know people who are struggling in their faith right now. They're being carried out on a stretcher. We've got to stop that funeral procession and say, stop, I want to tell you what it means to be alive. You're content right now with being dead. That's not good enough. I want to tell you what it means to be alive in Christ. And we share our story with them. You know what? They may not listen, but it's our responsibility to tell them. God's Spirit will do the work within them. You're not the one saving them. It's Jesus saving them. You're just sharing your story. Your stretch or your sin that Jesus healed you from, you think about this. How can God use that story to make Jesus famous? Not me. Jesus. What great changes happened in your life that unmistakably was the work of Jesus Christ? How will you communicate that story to others? Church, we are no longer dead. Rise up. Rise up and share your story of how Christ has made you alive. I don't know if you saw the reaction to the boy that was now alive. Look at Luke chapter, go back to Luke chapter 7. It said that when the boy sat up, he began to talk to those around him. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now look at verse 16 of chapter 7. Great fear swept the crowd. They praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. They're thinking, Elijah, Elisha, right? He did this. We've seen the hand of God at work today. And the report of what Jesus had done that day spread all over Judea and even across its borders. The news of Jesus spread. About what? The boy? No. The news about who? Jesus. Did you hear about the boy? No. Did you hear about Jesus? It was the boy that was saved, but it was Jesus' name that was proclaimed. Church, I've been saved. But that isn't the great news. It's that Jesus did the work. When's the last time God did something in your life that you can only be explained as, God did it? Can you think of that last moment? When's the last time you can sit back and say, oh, God did this. I got a story. Doug Dominic's got a story. Doug, got a couple minutes? We got a mic? Turn to a mic. Oh, let me grab a mic. I can see why Rex wanted me. I gave him a call this week because uh, events that happened within my family again. Um, but I can see how he tied it in with this week's sermon. Uh, Mom and Dad over the years have taken in a lot of foster kids and adopted a lot of those. Uh, last Saturday, um, one of them, 40-year-old DJ, was hit by a car down in Toledo and killed. Um, you look at a 40-year-old kid just crossing the street, uh, got hit by a car, and now he's gone. Uh, you kind of look and figure out, you know, how did this work? How, for what reason did this happen? Um, Wednesday, me and my brother Randy always go visit my mom on Wednesday. So we went, doing great. Thursday during the day, I get a call. Um, Cindy's panic and saying, Mom's going to the hospital. Uh, emergency's here now, and they're trying to get her up, get her to the hospital. Come to find out, she has septic shock. Uh, her body basically was shutting down. Her blood pressure pretty much bottomed down to nothing. Um, had about a 50-50 chance of survival. Um, and, and how this ties in this week is the fact that uh, mom having slight dementia, uh, they hadn't told her about uh, DJ's passing. Didn't know if she could handle it or not. So uh, it just happened Thursday. Um, some of the girls were talking on our family group website we have, kind of discuss family stuff. 
And uh, they said, man, should we go tell mom about DJ today? And uh, three of the sisters were saying, oh, man, I don't know. Better wait till she has a good day, then we'll tell her, you know, whether they're putting it off or what. Uh, and, and Karen's sister-in-law said, no, we need to tell mom. She needs to hear. So they decide we're going over now. We're going to do it. So they go over, and uh, mom's sitting there and uh, uh, sweaty, clammy, um, said her back of her neck hurt. So they're sitting there and say, well, when you're, you're done here, we'll get your medicine. Uh, medicine uh, did come because all of a sudden she went into a total rock-bottom blood pressure gone. Um, so they called 911, came and got her, uh, took her to the hospital and treating her. She's doing well. Um, and I guess where this all comes down to is how God takes tra- tragedy and can still turn something good into it. If DJ hadn't passed away, um, the girls had put off going to tell mom about DJ dying. Them walking in at that time to find mom at that moment. Um, Another four or five minutes, her body would have been shut down and mom would be dead. So even though DJ died, Mom's alive because of these events. And God didn't just say, go tell mom. He waited those four days at that perfect time when this happened. So uh, God always has a reason for everything. And he can take good and uh, out of tragedy and uh, show his beauty and his grace. Thank you. Next time. <clears throat> When's the last time... God did something in your life. You can only explain it as God did that. God did that. And he's sharing that with me the other day. And I said, oh, I know what I was preaching on. I was like, can you share that today? Um, because that's what I'm trying to tell you. Many of us live these good, wholesome, moral lives. Let me tell you something. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. Anybody can be good. So when you're working with people in your family, like, well, they're a good person. That's not going to win them to Christ. It isn't being good that wins people to Christ. It's the power of God working through you that wins people to Christ. It's Jesus Christ alive in you, working through you, that wins people to Christ. Church, rise up. You are no longer dead. Just as Jesus touched that boy on that stretcher and brought him back to life, he's done the same for us. And it's time for us to celebrate being alive. It's time for us to let Christ work through us. When Jesus pulls you off the stretcher, when God raises you from the dead, you walk different. You share your story, and you do it proudly. You do it boldly. Well, what are people going to think of me? Who cares? Do you know that everybody's on a destination to heaven or hell? So who cares if they reject you for being bold? You okay with saying nothing and they go to hell, or are you okay with saying something and maybe they choose to reject it and they go to hell? I'd rather at least say something and they can reject me if they want. I was driving down, um, I was in Cleveland a, a week ago, and we were there for three days for these regional meetings. And uh, one night, and I don't understand, this is like crazy, okay? So we're sitting there, we're talking about domestic, uh, domestic abuse and violence and sport and home and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there was a heavy session for about three hours. We get done with that. We have another session that evening. We go out to eat and we're doing a team building exercise. 
at the gun range. We just got done talking about domestic violence, and we're going to a gun range. Didn't make sense to me, right? So we plug into the GPS, go into the gun range, put in the thing, okay, driving down the road, destination, turn right at the next intersection. Boom, we turn right. We're driving down, and next thing you know, um, it says, your destination is 200 feet on your right. Driving down and on 200 feet, your destination is on your right. It was a cemetery. I was like, supposed to be going to a gun range. There's a cemetery, and that's my destination? Enough said. I'm going back to the hotel, okay? Um, But I thought about that. It's like, isn't that true in life? You've got destination. Our destination eventually is what? A cemetery. And from there, where is it? Heaven or hell? That's where it's going. So I might as well go ahead and just tell people about life in Jesus Christ. They can choose heaven or hell, but I need to share my story. You need to share your story. You need to be bold in your faith. Don't water it down. Back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, the ministry of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes was just started. There's only like six people on staff. Like there's over a thousand now, but just six people on staff. Don McLennan, who's the founder, was one of those guys. They don't even have a main office in Kansas City or anything like that. They are just getting started. They're out there trying to raise funds so they can do ministry. That's what we do. We're like missionaries. We raise our funds so we can do ministry. So Don McClannan's out there. He's trying to raise money. He gets a phone call from the Ed Sullivan Show. Now, understand this. For the younger generation, it's like Conan, then what is it? Uh, maybe uh, Jay Leno, David Letterman, uh, Johnny Carson, then Ed Sullivan. So we're going way back, right? Okay. But here's the thing. There's only like two or three TV stations. So... It isn't like cable today, we have 500. There's only three stations probably you're looking at, and Ed Sullivan shows with the main one. This is who introduced the Beatles to the world and all these other famous people. They called up Don McClannan and said, we've heard about your uh, working with athletes, professional athletes. We would like you to come on the Ed Sullivan show, and we will pay you $10,000. Now understand, $10,000 like somebody calling me up and saying, we're going to give you $100,000 if you come and, and uh, get on Good Morning America. Tell about FCA. Sweet, I'm there. Okay, that would be a great fundraiser for our ministry. Okay, so they they told Don this, and they said, Don, Don, but here's the one thing. Okay, you get on our show, you can't talk about Jesus Christ. I'm so happy to say that Don McClendon never went on the Ed Sullivan show. I can't talk about Jesus. Now, he could have justified it. We need that $10,000 to get this ministry going. God understands. I mean, we'll have more contacts down the road. And we'll share about Jesus later. He didn't choose that route. He said, I can't talk about Jesus? Then I won't take the money. Don't water down your faith, people. Don't water down. Share it. Be bold with it. We have a final destination. We want to be in the presence of God because we need to be rescued now from a life that leads to sin and death because we want to believe in Jesus Christ who makes us alive, we need to, one, first make sure we are alive in Christ. Two, we need to share our story with other people. And how do I share with others? Through the power of Jesus Christ being revealed in me. Moments like that. Doug, just get up and share a story. That's how you share your faith. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I need to ask myself, maybe you can ask yourself this question, is God's power evident in my life today? Is it evident in my life today? Is God's power make me different? It's God's evident power in my life that's going to attract others to Him. Is it there? Is it there? If not, this morning we pray.
Ask him to take you off the stretcher. Ask him to heal you, to raise you. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being an awesome and mighty God. I thank you for the moments we've had this morning, the stories that have been shared. From Ryan sharing in his life, Doug sharing in his life, Lord, we see the power of God at work. And we want to be a part of that. And just like this young man that was dead and being ready to be buried, you intersected into his life and said, not yet. You're going to be a witness for me. And he raised him from the dead. And he put him on a new journey. And God, everyone in this room who has placed their faith in you, you have raised us from a spiritual death. You have given us new life. You have given us your spirit, your power to be different, to live different. So God, we just pray, wake me up. Jesus, wake me up. What am I doing? What really matters? I want to live for you. I want to share you with others. Yeah, it makes me nervous. But I've got something good. I've got a new life in Christ. God, give us the courage and the strength to share our stories with others. And God, if there's somebody in this room again that just needs to be rescued right now, Lord, rescue them right where they're at. Speak to them right now. As we sing to you, God, may your name be praised. May you be worshiped. May our voices fill this room. We want to be alive, God, and we want to be alive in you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace.